Am I on? I am on. Yes. I thought you're lucky. You don't have to hear me. I can just stand up here for 40 minutes and leave. Not a joke. Hey, I was singing uh, this morning and I noticed that, Jimmy, it's your first time on drums. Yeah? Give me a hand. It's so good. Actually, I don't even know if he did good. I don't play any musical instruments. So, um, but he did he do good? He did great? Um, yeah, so good. Um, so, yeah, if you want to serve in, in the church and, you, and you're like, I'm good at this, I'm good at that, come let us know and we'll put you where you're good at. Maybe you're like, I don't know what I'm good at, but I really want to get involved in serving. Come talk to me after the service and we can find a spot to put you in. Because there's always a spot for you. There's always a place where you can serve others and that sort of stuff in the house of God, in connect groups, wherever. So if you want to get involved, like Jimmy did, was like, I'm actually wicked good at drums, I'm guessing. And so he came along and got involved, that sort of stuff. So, um, But give their worship team a hand. They did great this morning. Good job. You guys can have a seat. Like Joel said, I'm finishing up our series on Ephesians, and I'm preaching out of, uh, it's a lot of reading. So um, if you can't read, you're in trouble. Just joking. Um, I'm reading from about a fe- halfway through Ephesians to the, just the start of chapter sh- 6. Um, and um, I'll just quickly rehash where this letter is going. The letter is written by Paul. Um, and in Ephesians 2 and 3, we see that we're saved by faith, by grace, not a work, that we can't work our way to heaven. We can't work our way into a relationship with Jesus, uh, with Jesus and with God. It's only through Jesus on the cross can we have a relationship with the Father and eternity in heaven. So straight up, that is the gospel message. Tithing won't get you to heaven. Being good works won't get you to heaven. Serving the poor won't get you to heaven. They're all good things. Only Christ can get you to heaven. Uh, and then in Ephesians 4, he talks about because of that thing that Jesus has done for us, we are all now one body. He's the head. We're all one body and we are all united in one. We are all one in Christ. And through that one in Christ, through the, the connect group gatherings or the, the relationships we have with one another, that we can then urge and help each other mature in Christ. Okay, so that's what Ephesians 4 is all about. And Ephesians 5 starts out with... Um, in verses 5, verses 1 and 2, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it talks about walking in the way of love. Walking is journey your life in the way of love. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Walk in the way of love. And the rest of that chapter, it'll go through kind of how to, you know, avoid obscene talk, sexual immorality, greed, stealing. It goes through all this stuff of watch the way you walk and don't do these things. And I'll pick up in verse 15, it says this. um, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You only have to turn the TV on to realise there's evil in the world, isn't there? You know, we live in a fallen world. The, the Bible at the very beginning tells us that we live in a fallen world, that we are fallen, the world is fallen, and Ephesians 6 talks about powers and principalities and spiritual dark forces that are working in the background to disrupt the unity that Christ has done for us and for the church and for His body. And so there's this element where there's these three fallen natures in the world. There's ourselves, the world, and Satan and the cues and that sort of stuff. There's this whole thing. So be wise. Be wise to that. Um, And then it says this, uh, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. You know, when you're drunk, I don't know if you've been drunk, but when you're drunk, you make bad decisions. You do stupid things. You say stupid things. You do stupid things. So he's saying, don't do that. And then it says, instead, instead, don't do that. Instead, do this. He's saying, don't do that. 
do this. And this is what he says. This is Paul. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So when you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be singing songs and hymns to one another. There's this united, we come together and we're singing songs and hymns to God, but he's also saying, hey, do it to one another. And songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So there's this singing songs with one another, and there's this singing songs between me and God. So there's this one anotherness, and there's, there's the me and Godness. That's what he's saying. When we're filled with the Spirit, we do these things. And we're always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always giving thanks to God the Father uh, and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so he says, you know, watch the way you're living. Watch the, your heart. Watch what's happening. Greed, stealing, all this stuff. Be careful then how you live. And don't be drunk, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And when, you, when you're filled with the Spirit, you sing songs to God. Sing songs to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Oh, and we give thanks. I switch those two around. Give thanks to God and then submit to one another uh, as we submit to Christ as the head of the church. And then it's through this lens that we need to read the next part of the passage. This is a bit of a tricky one for me to message prep, but can I be honest? You can be honest, right? That's church. This has been a really hard week to, to, to message prep, a lot of reading, a lot of... Because some of these scriptures that I'm going to read up next have been taken out of context. They've been used for people in power to put power over others, but that's actually not the context of the scripture. And so we see Paul is writing in the first century Greco-Roman world, and they have these household codes and social norms uh, in Rome at the time or in the Greco-Roman world. And um, essentially it's called the paterfamiliaris is that the, the it's a king rules the land, male rules, a husband rules the wife, father rules the children, master rules the slave. There's this male headship going on. It's called paterfamiliaris and it helps keep Pax Romana, which is peace in Rome. And the Romans thought that if I can keep this household strong, like most societies, when the household is strong, society is strong. When the households are broken, society can be broken. And so this is the, the social norm at the time. And Paul actually is taking this household code, this social norm, and he actually turns it on the head. He actually switches it around. So people reading it are like, He's talking about the household codes, codes that we live by, but he's switching it around. That's what we're going to. That's the lens through what we're going to read through this next little bit. And the lens through which you read it, lots of lenses going on, is through being filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is the message of this next part. And so often when you read the Bible, try not to read like there's chapters. Chapters don't exist. <laughs> Delete them. When they were written. There was no chapters and verses. It was just straight through. Chapters and verses were written a long time later, added in, because if I was like, uh, just go to halfway through Isaiah. Which, which chapter? Well, there's no chapters. Uh, halfway through, it's, it's uh, 66 books. It's a lot, a thousand scrolls or something. And so it's easy to go, go, go to scroll 25. Oh, yeah, I know where that is. So they'll put in to make it easy reading. But sometimes we need to read what's coming prior, in and then after, and then it all melds together. It's like watching Lord of the Rings 2 without one and three, you, kind of, you get an idea, but not quite. You've got someone else who's going to fill you in. Um, so instead of filling in, just read it straight through. Um, and so here's what it says. Um, Wives, submit to yourselves, to your husbands, as you do the Lord. Now, they were like this. Hang on a minute. These household codes, they were written to men. What's Paul's writing to women. Why would he do that? Because oh, women are important. They're image bearers of God. They're reading it going, hang on a minute. This is different to what, what we're used to. What, why? 
Because women are image bearers of Christ, just like men. They are made in God's image. We are united under one. The last few chapters, he's been talking about, you're all one. There's no Jew. There's no Gentile. We are all one body. There's no one who's more important than another. And people are really going, this is different. This is interesting. Let's keep going. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and cleansing. And so straight away we see this mutual submission. Wives submit to husbands. Husbands submit to wives like Christ loved the church. It's not oppression and tyranny. Instead, it's mutual submission to one another. And rather than having peace in Rome, it's peace in relationship. Okay, so that's kind of what we're, what we're getting at here. Um, make her holy and cleansing Heal, uh, her by the washing with water through the word, probably talking about some sort of baptism or cleaning at the time, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Um, I looked here and my, the words are so small I've lost my spot. <laughs> my son on the way here had my Bible. He's like, these pages are so thin. I'm like, well, Rocky, the Bible's so big. If they were thicker pages, it'd be like this big. I could barely carry it. Um, and so that's quite funny. No, my Bible. Your Bible is a big one, right? Um, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one who ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. You know, I eat healthy, I exercise, I look after myself, and I show that I love my wife by looking after her. I don't look after myself and then not look after her. It's this mutual thing. As you look after yourself, you look after others. It's this mutual thing that we're all working together. For we are all members. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so from the very beginning, people are reading this for the first time going, Paul's referencing women. Why? Because women are important. Men are important. We are one body. We are one. It's completely against the social norm. He's turning it upside down. In the household codes, women, children, slaves were weren't even mentioned in the household codes, and if they were, they were mentioned in the third person. But here we see them straight away uh, uh, named and, and honoured in these sort of, sort of letters. Uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exacerbate your children. It actually says in my Bible, it has a little note, then you read the bottom, another hint when you get it in the Bible, you get a little E or an A or an asterisk, read down the bottom, um, and it says this, it says parents. Parents, do not exacerbate or invoke your children to anger. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's also one reason why we have kids' church the way we do. Families, parents raise their children in the house of the Lord. We have children in here listening, and you're actually surprised how much they listen in a church service. You know, they see you worshipping, they go, my parents, my mum and dad worship, my grandma worships. Whoever you're bringing the kids to you, they're seeing it happen, they're seeing it modelled. Now, the next part talks about slaves. And I'm just going to quickly touch on slaves. So if you read the NIV, it says slaves. ESV will say bondservant. But essentially, back in the Greco-Roman world, there was a, a zillion, I want to say zillion, there's a, a large percentage of the population is slaves. And it was a heap of uh, 
uh, different ways people could come into slavery. But what's really important to note is that Jesus came not for social reform, but for sin and death on the cross. You know, uh, when, John, when Jesus came to see John the Baptist, John the Baptist says, here's Jesus, the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. That Jesus came to take away sin from the world, and then it's us through his body that we are then the starters of social reform. We are the starters to get into society and reform it through what Christ has done for us. So Jesus came for sin, not social reform. We are going to social reform because of what Christ has done for us. So it's just really important to go, because some people are like, the Bible condones slavery. I'm like, well, it doesn't. Jesus didn't come for that. He came for sin, and then we will work out society. And that's kind of our imperative and what we do. Um, here. And it says, Slaves, obey your earthly mothers, masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. So obey your masters just like you'd obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they're slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he is both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favouritism with him. And so we see right through this whole, I told you there's a lot of reading and there's interesting passages, but but what we're getting at through this whole thing, it's mutual submission to one another. I submit to you, you submit to I. It's this whole race to the bottom, essentially, that how, am I, how can I serve you? What can I do to serve you? How can I serve my wife? How can she serve me? How can I serve my children? How can they serve me? There's this mutual submission going on. It's a race to the bottom. In Philippians 2, which um, essentially is just us being like Christ. I was talking to someone at the start of the service going, oh, it's so hard to be like Jesus. He's just so awesome. And I'm just so sinful and fallen and selfish. Who's ever felt like that? Yeah? Like Jesus is just so incredible. And in Philippians 2, verses 1 to 8, it says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. This is Paul saying, by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. Now, Paul, there's this thing called unity, and he's big on it. All through Ephesians, all through Philippians, he's talking about we are one, we are one, we are one. Then he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each one of you to the interests of others. Imagine a society where we looked after the interests of others rather than ourselves. Imagine that we all all part of an organisation, whether it's I, I do judo in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, where there's a hierarchy of belts. I'm a fourth degree black belt, you're a sixth degree black belt. They lord that power over me. Maybe you're in the public service and you're whatever level that is and, and that person lords it over you. Who knows what I'm talking about? Other organisations, teachers do it over parents, principals over teachers. There's this whole element where, imagine if we switched it. That's what he's talking about. Masters are dominating the slaves. Husbands are dominating the wives. No, let's switch it. Let's switch it around. We serve one another. And as we do so, there is peace and unity among relationships, families, households, communities, and that sort of stuff. Um, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the cross, uh, to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was the highest God in man form, in human form, but he decided to make himself a servant to humanity, a servant to you and I, people that are sinners, that have fallen, that completely cannot mix with him, but he made us, he died for us on the cross. How awesome is that? Ian Paul, uh, who teaches the theology at Full University, says this, We serve one another, not out of being placed in a particular position in a hierarchy because of our nature, but where we are servants of one another out of reverence for Christ. So what does this mean for us? We don't live back then. We live now. What does this mean for us? Often, I think it's sometimes just to give up our preferences for others. You know, I know some people here don't love the kids in the service. You know, like, oh, I wish kids could go somewhere else. And some people have gone, but you know what? They are seeing the value in the kids being in the service. They see the value, like I was just worshipping and my daughter's over here colouring in. And I can tell you what, kids can multitask. She's listening to people worship. She's listening to the music. She's seeing me worship. She's seeing me give. She's seeing me pray for people. She's seeing things happen. And that is something to have in the church. I always think this, imagine if someone, um, it was the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit turned up like absolute craziness. And I was like, kids, it was awesome. They're like, oh, like we were just in kids' church. Like it's awesome, like kids' church is awesome. But they missed it. They weren't here, you know. Uh, Or maybe someone comes in and they're on crutches with a broken leg and they get prayed and they get healed and they throw the crutches away and walk out. And my kids saw that with their own eyes, rather than seeing it through me. That's why we have them in the service. And what I love is some people have gone, we don't like that, but I see the value in it. So I'm going to give up my preference and serve families and serve the next generation by doing that. So thank you to all those people here. And believe me, my son's one and a half. He just walks and screams all the time. So um, you get a little um, insight into my life. Uh, You know, maybe small groups. I know a lot of people have been uh, freaked out by small groups. But actually seeing the value in those small groups, seeing the discipleship conversations that can happen, that can't happen here. We can't confess to one another, sins to one another here. But in a small group, we get to know each other. We get to deeply connect. We get to share. And it takes time. Relationships take time. Um, but we can see the, the, the benefit of serving one another, praying for one another and discipling one another. And people have given up their preference to do Sunday church in a building Now we do one in the building and one in the home, and people are seeing the the benefits of that. Maybe you're serving the church by your your tithes and offerings. Maybe you're you're giving to a community organisation. I can keep this money myself, but I'm going to serve others by giving it away. Awesome, and hats off to you as well. Um, As parents, we give up our preferences all the time to our children. Sleep, right? (laughs) But I'm serving my children. As a teacher... I sometimes gave up my lunchtime to, to, to counsel two children to work together, to forgive one another and work it out. Teachers are all the time, I had a lunch break, but I just counseled these two kids for 45 minutes and now I don't have one. Teachers do that all the time. Um, um, connect group leaders, we clean, they clean the house, have people over, clean up the house again. So as you and I lay our lives down for one another, both in the home, in the workplace, in the families, it'll create unity, it'll create love, and um, just rather than peace in Rome, peace in society. How awesome would that be to love one another? You know, I teach um, judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu classes. And um, like all workplaces, uh, you kind of rock up and you're kind of tidying things up. You're putting that there and putting that there. And judo belts are really hard to tie up and kids don't know how to do it. So what kids do is they walk in. Usually they walk in like this. Like, do, do my belt up like this. And I'm busy, right? I'm busy. 
And, I, and then, so my rule is this. I'll do your belt up when my belt's done up. So I have my pants on, the jacket on, and then, but the belt's off. I say, when, when my belt's on, um, I'll do your belt up. And then the kids are like this. Oh, okay. And they're like... And so then wherever I'm cleaning up, they like follow me like this. And they, then I've got a trail of kids. And then I have to go to the bathroom down the hallway because I teach you, go down the hallway. And the kids go, oh, he's going to the bathroom. I don't, what do I do? So then they wait inside the doors and they come back and they're like, oh, he's, oh can you do that? Like, and, there's this, and it's so annoying. Oh, it's so, and some kids are more annoying than others. You know, some are like, oh, whatever, I'll go play with the other kids. And some are like, but my uniform's not fully done up. It's this awkward thing. And I was saying to my wife, I was saying, oh, I've got to go to judo. And there's some kids that just like, don't, I'm telling them this story. And she goes, you know, why don't you just save yourself some grace and just do their belt up when they ask you to? I'm like, because I'm busy. I want to get myself sorted. I want to get myself done. She goes, sounds like you're just digging yourself a hole. And I was like, okay. And so this is on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, I came to training and, the, and I... Had my pants on, had my jacket on, didn't have my belt on. My rule is my belt's on and up. I won't do your belt. And the kid goes, can you do my belt up? I'm like, yeah, sure, no worries. And then I'm, I'm cleaning up and there's no trail. I'm like, oh, yeah, no worries. And like, oh my gosh, when I put others first, it becomes easier. <laughs> right? I, that's a trivial example, but it actually caused me some grief. Like it actually was like... And now when kids, yep, no worries. And now I'm front-footed with it and I don't have a trail of children. And I thought... I don't know why I have this selfish rule that I just decided to make up, that I want this, and everyone must succumb to that. When I switched it, peace. So much easier. Where in your life can you do that? Where in your life? Now, it could be something huge. It could be something trivial. But where in your life can you serve? Where can you, maybe you're in a position of authority in your workplace. When can you come and serve the lowest in the workplace? I'm talking hierarchy in, in organisations, not in people groups or whatever, because we're all one. Where can, the, where can you serve the lower? And when they see that, they go, you know, um, one of my friends goes to a school, his kids go to a school, and he always says, oh, the principal's the best. He's always on the barbecue. He's always at the door. He's always cleaning. And, you know, the principal knows he's doing the so, so-called lowest jobs. It's not, but... But people see that he's not up the front doing this and this and this. He's actually serving the community and the teachers and the people. And so where can you do that in your, in your house? You know, Jesus said that um, uh, people know that you're my in John 13, that you'll, they'll know you're my disciples by how you love one another. That people will know you are my disciples by how we love one another. And then he decides to kneel down, bend down and wash grimy feet. So he not only said that, he then demonstrated it. And if Jesus can demonstrate that, it shows how fallen I am that I don't demonstrate that in my own life. So as we draw to a close and get ready to do some baptisms, where in your, work, where in your workplace, your family, where in your, your social hierarchy at, at school, at workplace, where sporting teams. You know, I come from, like I said, judo, where there's a social hierarchy. Uh, there's, there's black belts and there's, you know, and there's like, oh, I can't learn from you because I'm a high black belt. But if you switch it, it actually opens up a different culture, a different dynamic in your workplace, in your families, and that sort of stuff. And it's actually a great one to move in towards Christmas. Christmas, people are open. Why are you doing this? The first century church grew on Christians loving one another 
and serving the so-called unlovables in society, the Samaritans, the lepers, the children exposed and left outside the city gates. The Christians go out there, collect them up, love them, look after them. You are valued by God and you have value. Society don't, might not say that you have value, but we say that you have value. And so that's how we are image bearers to God in, the, in, in, in our lives and in uh, the workplaces and in our sporting teams and whatever else. So just have a think this week, how can you serve others or where can you serve others? Or where are you a little bit like me, selfish? Allow someone to go, where am I selfish? Where do I need to work on it? What do I need to do? And small groups, house churches, relationships uh, are a great way to have someone speak into your life in in a positive, loving way. And if you're a person that has to tell someone something that's a truth that's hard, Go there anyway, because the truth in love is well received. Might not be well received, but if it's in love, it's taken on board. Okay, so um, that's it for me this morning. But just remember, um, love uh, one another. Submit, mutual submission. Don't lord any power over anybody because we are submitted to Christ. We are his body and we are all equal. God bless. Have a great week.